Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Good morning, gang. It's good to see everybody today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather in your house today. Father, I'm just simply asking God for every person that's in this room today, including myself, God, all the, the many things that we have going on, all the, all the clutter that would try to grab our attention in this moment. Father, I'm just asking God that you would like put us in a holy bubble for a moment. And God, I ask that you would speak to us loud and clear. Father, we're here today because we want to encounter you. We're here today because we want to know your heart. We want to know your ways. And Father, we just simply thank you for meeting us here. So Lord, increase your anointing. Father, help us to be hungry for your word. Help us be hungry for your truth. And Father, we pray, God, as always, God, that that you would just change our lives. God, that you would continue to transform us and uh, just continue to take us from faith to faith to glory to glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, when I read the Gospels, one of the, the main things that sticks out to me uh, the most really about Jesus is this, is that as a master communicator, he really knew the power of a story. If you know that's true, say, oh yeah. Listen, in fact, throughout the Gospels, we often see Jesus captivating crowds as he shared some spiritual truth or some spiritual principle through the art of storytelling. Now, I don't know if you've ever sat back and went, you know, why did Jesus do that? Uh, In my personal opinion, I believe the reason Jesus shared so many stories, in fact, we know about a third of his ministry was through stories. Uh, I believe the reason that he did that is because he he knows that our natural tendency as humans is to basically that every time we hear a story that we have a tendency to put our ourselves into it. Is that not true? It's like we, we watch a movie or we, we read a book, we inadvertently, without any effort of our own, find ourselves laughing, crying, getting angry, getting offended with somebody, right? Uh, feeling loved. And why does that happen? Once again, because without any effort of our own, we put ourselves in some character shoe in that story and we begin to vicariously live through them so much so that we begin to feel what they feel. Now, What I'm trying to tell you today is simply this, is that Jesus was brilliant in telling stories. And once again, why? It's because as he ministered to people, he would tell a story that put them in, uh, you know, put people as a character in it. And it made them, it challenged them to have to view themselves, to view others, and most importantly, to view God differently than they did before. Now, as we've been talking about for the past few weeks, uh, we know these stories are also uh, known as parables. Now, we spent time talking about the parable of the sower. We talked about uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And today I want to actually turn our attention to uh, what some consider to be the crown jewel of all of Jesus' parables, and that is the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. Now, what I want to do, what I want to simply ask you here up top is this. Is I know for the most part, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard this story, man, thousand times, right? Like you've heard it loads. And uh, today I'm just, 
uh, just encourage you. I know our tendency is once we've heard something, it's kind of block it out and go, okay, yeah, I've, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, whatever. But if we can hear it in you today, because I believe Jesus wants to talk to us. In fact, I didn't really have any intentions to run this direction. And uh, last week while I was praying, kind of getting ready for last Sunday, uh, last Sunday morning, I knew I was supposed to preach this today. And so I'm not sure why. It, it may be for one of you guys in here or maybe for all of us. I don't know. But I just encourage you to pull up to the table and, uh, and allow Jesus to talk to you. Amen? All right, so let's look at it together, starting in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, we're just going to kind of walk the dog through this chapter. It says this, it says, many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. Let's pause there for a second. For the sake of context, I would like to point out that not only did these sinners like to be in the presence of Jesus, but Jesus actually liked to be in their presence as well. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Now, I want us to grab a hold of that. That actually means that he wasn't just friendly with sinners. That means he actually considered them to be friends. In fact, when you look it up in the original language, it means this. It means that when Jesus was walking down the road, if he saw some notorious sinner, right, coming in his direction, instead of running from them, he would actually run to them because he wanted to communicate and talk to them. He wanted to get to know them. Now, why did he do that? It's simply put, because he loved them. Amen? So, as you can expect, uh, that kind of attitude didn't settle too well with the religious leaders of the day. In fact, it says this in verse 2. It says that this race concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Why? Because every time they saw those people, they ran to the other side of the street. So it says this, it says, indignant about what Jesus was doing, so much so that they grumbled and they complained, saying, look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. Can you believe it? So listen, these, these so-called religious leaders or Pharisees, man, they were well known for being arrogant, self-righteous, and judgmental. We talked about some of that last week. But, but because they had that kind of attitude, they just had this really nasty habit of elevating themselves above others. And not only would they elevate themselves above others, but they would also elevate their religious laws and their religious rules above things like love, mercy, and compassion. So you got the context there. All right, so watch this. So if you can kind of picture this with me, just kind of with those ideas in mind. Um, I kind of see Jesus just kind of, uh, you know, sitting one day, you know, he's out on the wharf, man. He's, you know, whatever. He's, he's in a good mood, and he's sitting there with all of his disciples. You know, they just finished up lunch. They've been joking around, eating fish and chips, drinking southern sweet tea because they're from southern Jerusalem, right? And, and so when, when all of a sudden this crowd of people begin to gather around him, like they notice Jesus is there, so they begin to gather around him, and they have this expectation that if we gather around Jesus, he's going to start teaching us. Now, what's so interesting? about this crowd is obviously uh, most of them are just you know your normal you know good-hearted folks they're the local farmers they're the fishermen the merchants and so on but but kind of scattered throughout when you begin to really look through the crowd and search the crowd you see that there's a few of society's outcasts like the tax collectors the prostitutes right the drunkards the thieves and so on you know those people that have been uh, labeled by their poor choices and labeled by their sin like they're there too now as we can expect because we've read the gospels uh, you you know, you got kind of off to the side. You got those religious Pharisees that are watching Jesus, seeing what's going to happen. And when the crowd gathered, they said, you know what? Uh, we need to gather too. In other words, they moved in kind of like a pack of wolves, right? 
And so as soon as they walk up, they do what they always do. Uh, They immediately begin to huddle up together and they begin to gripe, they begin to complain, and they begin to make judgments about about the people that they're seeing in front of them. In other words, yep, there's Bob, yep, there's Sue, and they begin to call out their sin. That's kind of what they do. But the underlining current here is they're just ticked off that Jesus would talk to these folks. And so here's Jesus being Jesus. Let me maybe just say this for y'all to help you understand. How many of you guys know when you get Jesus... A group of sinners and Pharisees together, it's going to get interesting, right? It's just going to happen, right? And so, so Jesus sees them expressing their disapproval. And so what does he do? He actually jumps in. It says in verse 3, it says, in response, Jesus gave them this illustration. In other words, the moment was prime. Let's go through the door, right? And so the Bible tells us that he begins to tell a three-part story And what he did is he placed these two contradicting groups, once again, the sinners and these religious people, and he made them the main characters because why? Once again, he was trying to get them to see how they view themselves, how they view others, and ultimately how they view God, and maybe how they need to change some of those things. So... The first story was known as this. It was the parable of the lost sheep. I'll go through the first two really quick. Uh, This story is simply about a shepherd who had 100 sheep in his care. He lost one. And the Bible says that he left the 99 to go find the one. When he found the one, he celebrated and he threw a massive party. And then it says at the end of that portion of Scripture, Jesus actually gives us uh, the interpretation of what we just read. And he says this in verse 7. He says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner repents than over 99 just upright persons who needed no repentance. And so he moves from there and he goes right into the second story, which is known as the parable of the lost coin. And this story is about a woman who had 10 silver coins and she loses one and she frantically lights a lamp and she begins to sweep the house and search it carefully until she finds it. And she said, the Bible says that when she found it, she was so overwhelmed, so full of joy. And she called her neighbors and called her friends and they threw a party. Once again, Jesus gives the interpretation again in verse 10. says, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All right, so I want to slow down here for a second because I want us to notice a few things just kind of put in our pocket as we go through the rest of the day. The first thing is this. I want you to notice that the lost sheep and the lost coin, that obviously they represent the sinners that were there. Okay, whereas the 99 sheep and the nine coins, they represented the Pharisees who were there, right? The people who thought they had it together. All right, so that's the first thing. The second thing I want to know is this, is, is that Jesus actually called this sheep and this coin uh, as something that was lost. Now, what does the word lost really mean? It just simply means this, that something's not where it's supposed to be. And so what Jesus was trying to get at with these sinners that were there, these notorious sinners, is, hey guys, spiritually speaking, you are not where you're supposed to be. All right, the next thing I want to know is because it really tells us a lot about the heart of God, uh, not only for these people, but for you and for me, and that is this. Notice that he said it was one sheep and it was one coin. So often we think, well, well, if I you know, lose a whole thing of coins, well, I'll go for it, right? If I lose a whole lot of this, then it's a different story. But he said, no, no, there's just one. And what he was trying to say is this to those sinners that were there, once again, is he was trying to convey to them their value and their love, uh, basically, that God had for them as one person. Am I making sense, you guys? So listen, the overwhelming message that Jesus was getting at, it was this, is that in spite of any person's past sins, past mistakes, past failures, that guess what? Even though they're maybe not where they're supposed to be, that God still loves them so much that he would go to any length to rescue and save them. Pretty good message, amen? All right, so uh, obviously, and he's sitting there, and Jesus is looking at these, these Pharisees and these sinners, and he's going, okay, clearly you boys aren't getting it. 
So he decides to add not one, but not two, but a third story in that. And that's what we want to kind of focus on the most today. So to kind of set this up, kind of in the same theme, obviously the younger son in this story represents the sinners. Okay? The older brother represents the Pharisees. And the father, of course, represents Father God. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. Verse 11, it says this. It says, then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons, the younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? Now, now listen, as a father of five kids, I cannot imagine one of my kids going, hey, look, pops, when are you going to croak? Like, like I, can't, I, can't, I can't imagine, like, how that must have felt, you know. And I'm just, you know, looking at this question going, you know, to the younger son. That probably wasn't the best question, man. Okay, it, it, you know, slightly rude at best. But, but watch this. When you actually dive into the Jewish culture, you actually find out that those listening there would have been absolutely appalled to hear of a son saying that to his father. And here's why. Because they considered that question to be extremely offensive because, in essence, what he was saying was this, is, is look, Dad, whatever I'm going to get when you die, go ahead and give it to me now. Because as far as I'm concerned, you're already dead to me. Now, listen, how many of you guys know that that definitely made an awkward dinner that night? <laughs> right? So, I also think it's important for us to know this, that those listening to Jesus tell the story uh, the actions of this son would have been considered as unforgivable, right? Like unforgivable. In other words, we didn't move past that. Once the guy crossed that line, like it was done. And so much so that in that culture, they would have expected the father to disown the son without ever giving him a penny of the inheritance that was rightfully his. So listen, when we kind of get to this point, I'm not really sure uh, why Jesus didn't elaborate on what the father must have been feeling because there's no doubt any dad uh, you know, I, I read that, and it's just a story, and I feel things, and I'm like, wow, I can't imagine if one of my kids did that. But, but, but Jesus didn't really dive into what they were feeling. Instead, what he did was, is he kind of ignored that, and, and he threw a curveball to these guys. Once again, remember their culture, disown them, not forgive them, right? Just like move on. Instead, he throws this curveball when he says this in verse 12. It says, so the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance, so the older son, he went ahead and gave it to his older son too. He got two-thirds, and obviously him as the younger son, he got one-third, right? Now, let me maybe pause here for a second. Over the years, I've heard people describe the younger son as impatient, independent, rebellious, and I can't really argue with any of those words. I think like they're all fitting. Uh, but the only thing I want to point out today in a really simple way is it seems like uh, basically that this son wanted his father's stuff more than he wanted a relationship with him. Like he loved his stuff more than he loved him. Now, I, when we hear that, I think it's real easy to sit back and judge him and be like, man, you're a knucklehead. But, but how many times have we done the same thing to our Heavenly Father? Where we really just want his stuff and we love the stuff more than we really love him. Like, like we say this, you know, God, I want you to bless me. I want your, you know, we sang about it earlier. You, I want you to protect me, provide for me. I want you to do this, get me out of this crisis, save my neck here, right? Come through me here, bail me out here. Like all these things, we just want his stuff so often. And over here, the dad's just like, the father's just like, man, will you just long for me? Am I making sense? At some point, you've done it, I've done it. We've all done it, right? Where we get sideways on things. Once again, where we love the stuff more than we love him. And then it says this in verse 13 about the younger son. It says, shortly afterwards, in other words, receiving his inheritance, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. 
He journeyed to a far off land. I want to stress far off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. Now, remember who Jesus is talking about here. Remember the audience. He's talking to notorious sinners. Therefore, this far off land didn't represent, at least in my opinion, some, uh, you know, necessarily, you know, some uh, geographical location as much as it referred to the relational distance between their heart and the Father. And then he, Jesus begins to go, okay, from, because of this distance that's there, watch the downward spiral that happens in verse 14. It says, with everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry. In other words, he grew empty, for there was a severe famine in the land. Now, I would like to suggest to you today that he was experiencing at that moment more than an empty stomach. In fact, I believe he was experiencing what the Bible calls leanness of the soul. Right? In other words, God will let you run as far away from him. And what happens is, is at some point you get a leanness of your soul. In other words, you just become empty, right? And, and so if I can maybe say one thing, and I think there's some of us in here that can identify with this, is it's this, is it's true about sin, that sin will take us places we never wanted to go, and it'll keep us longer than we ever wanted to stay. Boy, that's truth right there. So I believe it's from this place of desperation that caused his son to do the next thing in verse 15. It says, so he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. Now, I want to pause there for a second. Um, at, at face value, that looks pretty innocent. It looks like desperate. Let me go get a job, right? There's famine in the land. But, but there's something really interesting. When we read other translations, we find that the Bible says this, that he joined himself to a farmer in the land, Right? Y'all familiar with that? So, so that's, what, that's what most translations say. Now, now, what I'm about to say may be controversial to some of you guys, uh, but there's a point that I want to make, and I think it's important. The word join there is actually the same word of that God uses when a man leaves his father and mother and joins himself to his wife. So in other words, he's glued together. And so because of that, there's some theologians, some scholars that believe that this guy had hit rock bottom so bad that he was actually willing to engage in homosexuality uh, with this farmer in order to survive. So listen, if that interpretation is right or wrong, it doesn't really matter to me. But what does matter to me is this, is it shows the level of depravity that this young man had basically succumbed to. In other words, that he was just there, man. Like he wasn't, he wasn't at the bottom of the barrel. He was underneath the thing. And it goes on to say this. As the farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs, the son was so famished he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Guys, can you imagine being so hungry that you actually become jealous of what a pig eats? Like, but that's where this fellow is at. Now watch this. You know, you and I, we're a little different. We like bacon. We like pork chop, those things, right? But, but because most of us, and I don't know if there's anybody here, but we're not Jews, right? And so for a Jew, you know, a pig was basically, man, that was the most unclean animal. And so, so what, what Jesus was trying to tell through this story is that here's this Jewish boy, right? That had security, that had a home, that had all the things that he had ever wanted. If he had just waited, right? If he had just valued a relationship with his father, that he was losing it all and now here he is man he is at the lowest spot that he could that he as a Jewish person could ever get to now do you think it's possible when Jesus described the state of this man the condition of this young man that that he might have had the attention of the crowd like 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 did he have his audience right I think there's no doubt and and I believe he was wanting them all to see how far an individual could fall for what a good time 
You know, so often I think we run from God because we want a good time. And I just want to remind all of us in this place that, you know what, the Bible says that sin is fun for a season, but it ends in destruction. This is proof of what happens when we go with sin in our hearts. And sometimes, watch this, here's the reality, is, is we're sitting here looking at a man whose sin was very blatant, but sometimes the subtleness of sin will take us there as well. The things that we hide and nobody knows, uh, but it can take us to that place. Amen? All right, so watch verse 17 here, please. It says, humiliated or humbled, right, broken. The son finally realized what he was doing. Now, here's the redemption part that nobody expected. It says, he came to his senses and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food that they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. You see, sometimes I think it takes us to hit the rock bottom to remember what this guy did. A, he remembered this, where he belonged, that he was lost, that he wasn't where he was supposed to be, that there was a home, there was place security, all those things were available to him, but he ran from it, right? And the second thing I think you remember was this, and it's very clear, is he remembered the goodness of his father. The Bible says this, that's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance, Right, or leads us to repentance. So it's the goodness of God. And so I believe when you recognize I'm not where I belong and it's the goodness of my father, that that's what caused him to turn around, right? And it goes on and he said this to himself, why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees or one of yours. Other translations say servants. So listen, please don't miss that last part. Notice that this young man thought he had messed up so bad that the only thing he could ever hope for was this, is that the father would just at least look at him and go, you know what, I see him as a servant. He thought he reached that, that low, that, in other words, that he lost sonship. So listen, with that in mind, we know that this young man headed home and he was attending to plead for mercy. And so it says this in verse 20. It says, so the young son set off for home. It says, from a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. Can I just pause there for a moment? And once again, I don't know who we're talking to today, but listen, can I just say that that, that one piece, from a long distance away, the father saw him. I mean, it's a reminder that we're never as far off as we think we are. Right, that even in our greatest mess, man, the Father still sees us. Amen? And it says that when he saw him from a great distance, he had great compassion, like great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the Father raced out or he ran to meet him. Now, out of everything that's in this whole parable, this is my favorite part where the Father ran to him. Now, many people say that the father ran because he loved him, and, and I don't disagree with that at all. But, but when you actually begin to dig and you learn stuff about the Jewish culture, you find out this. You find out that if a son had disgraced his father like this guy did by wishing him dead and by blowing all of his money right on worthless things, that if that young man ever tried to come home, uh, that he was to be not only expected to be met with anger and rejection, but the people in that city actually had the right by law to stone him before he reached his house to understand that if if they saw him coming to town saw him at the distance they begin to run and grab rocks and they begin to go kill him 
Right? Actually, what they would do is they'd grab him, drag him to the middle of the town. They would remind him of his past. In other words, they'd heap shame and they'd heap guilt on him. Then they'd break a pot over his head, uh, basically trying to tell him, look, you don't have any identity as, as a son anymore to that man. And then they would stone to kill him. And, and so, so what, what I believe happened is, is here's this moment. The son's walking down. The father obviously knows the law. Clearly, we know that he's been staying down, you know, looking down that road for however long. And so I believe, and I just want to suggest to you today, that the father ran because he was trying to outrun his son's accusers. That's why I think he ran. Amen. In other words, if I can beat them there, then I can save him. So was it love? Absolutely. But I would say if I was going to slap a word on it, it would be mercy. That's the kind of mercy that rescued him from receiving the punishment he deserved. Anybody thankful for mercy today? Listen, I, I think, you know, at least when, with me, the way my mind works, like I, I get to this part of the story and I'm almost kind of like laughing, right? Because I just know that when Jesus got here, he was ticking the religious folks off. Like they had to be just mad and offended. And, and the reason I say that is because they love seeing people being punished for their mistakes, right? They just, they just enjoyed it, Right. So watch this, but in spite of what they would have thought in their offense, Jesus went on to say this, and we'll just kind of uh, wrap up this piece of it, and we'll move on to the next part. But he says this, it says that he swept him up in his arms. In other words, the father grabbed the son, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I can never deserve to be called your son. Guys, what was he doing here? It's a key word that sometimes we've lost in the church. He was repenting. Right? He was repenting. And I want you to know today, even though what the people are saying in the church, that was the right thing to do because the Bible tells us that even though the Father loves us with the unconditional love, it's through repentance that we receive the remission or the forgiveness of sins. Amen? So I just think, where, where, in other words, that was the right thing to do. But when we get to this next part, it's like, okay, that's where the son went too far. And it was this. He said, I can never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And before he got out the word, let me be your servant or like one of your employees, it says the father interrupted and said, son. No, he didn't say servant. He said, son, you're now home. What was he doing, guys? Is he was restoring his identity. Yeah. Right? But it didn't stop there. It says in verse 22, and I wish I had time to break all this down, but we don't have time to do it. But it says, turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Let me just say this. That's what happens with salvation. Our works, our righteous works are like filthy rags to the Lord. But when we get saved, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. In other words, he clothes us in his righteousness. So when the father looks at us, he doesn't see us and our prodigal son mess. He sees Jesus. We identify in him. We're in Christ, right? So then he goes on and says this, bring the ring, which is the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. That's what we got, right? Not bondage of fear and slavery, but we got seal of sonship. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. And the reason he did that is simply because slaves didn't wear shoes. It was a symbol of belonging to the family. Then it says in verse 23, let's prepare a great feast and celebrate for this beloved son of mine was once dead and now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now, does that last part sound really familiar? Because it should. Because it sounds like what happened when that lost sheet was found. And when that lost coin was found, there was still a party being thrown. Amen? Amen. It's the love of God in action. It's the tenderness of our Father, right? 
So, so can I say this today, and, and this may be for somebody here, it may not be, but I want you to notice that when the son came home and the father ran to him, the father didn't like run to him to, to like rub his past in his face. Right? He didn't heap condemnation. He didn't, you know, uh, you know, heap guilt on him. He didn't go, you know, whatever, let me pull out my long list. Here's everything you've done. You know, news from that faraway country. I know you did this. You slept with this. You smoked this. You drank this. You did. But he didn't do that, right? So listen, he didn't point the finger and say, how dare you waste everything I gave you? And the reason is he didn't say or do any of that is simply this, is because those things are contrary to this thing called grace and this thing called mercy. Instead, he restored his son just like he restored you and I when we came to him, is he did it with honor and he did it with dignity. Amen? Amen. So listen, the point here is this. In fact, I think there's two overarching points. And the first one was this. He was trying to get across to the sinners. And that was that regardless of how far they had wandered from God by their own choices, by their own doing, that God still welcomed them home as his sons and daughters. Right? That all they had to do was to repent, to turn from their sins and turn towards faith in him, right? To return to him and he would gladly put them back in the rightful place of the family of God. Aren't y'all thankful for that? The second thing he was trying to say to the Pharisees was this, is I, I believe he wanted them to see how much they lacked the Father's heart for those that they labeled as sinners, right? And, and just going to say this, um, I think because of their lack of understanding of the Father's heart, they had lost their passion for souls. Yeah. Like to think about it, these guys were called to be the gatekeepers of Israel, right? They were called to actually teach people God's way, to bring people to the kingdom. We know they did a really poor job on that, and the reason is because they lost the passion for souls. In other words, what they wanted to see happen to these sinners is they wanted to see them judged, not receive salvation. And I just want to say today, because I think there's a moment for us here today, maybe this is one of the things of why I'm preaching this and we need to grab this, I'm not sure, but, but I think when we get to the point where we rather see those that we disapprove of judged more than saved, Man, we've lost the heart of God. Okay, and, and, and I, you know, last week we talked about, you know, uh, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, in other words, the, the person in the ditch. And what I told you guys, hey, like, like, who would that be for you? Like, imagine in your head someone that you really struggle with. Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's a single person that you're offended with, you're mad at, you, you're angry at. Like today, can we be honest? Would we rather see those people receive judgment or salvation? Right? Because what happens is, is we get on our high horse and we think we're doing God a favor by being angry at those people. Right? And so, so watch this. I think that not only is that, uh, you know, basically shows that we lost the heart of God, but it also shows that we are, and hear this with grace, that we are resenting the blood of Jesus. It's a violation of grace. In other words, what we've received, we don't want anybody else to receive. And so what we're doing is, is we're resenting the power of the blood of Jesus to be able to save that person and make them clean. Amen? All right, so all that, let's kind of turn the page. You know, for years, you know, I've been saved, I don't know, about 25 years now. Uh, I would say probably about 95, 99% of the time I hear this parable, everybody stops there. And they don't move to the second part. But, but, but Jesus actually had a part two in this, which dealt squarely with the other group of the audience that was there. And it was the Pharisees. And I just want us to hear this once again. If you can, open your heart and just go, Jesus, talk to me if there's something there. He will, if you posture yourself in that way. Look at verse 25 with me, please. Now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. 
And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. I'm going to leave a joke there. All right, so he called over one of the servants and asked, what's going on? Says the servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. And the older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. What's happening? In other words, what Jesus is saying is that this older son was acting just like the Pharisees when they saw Jesus hanging out with the sinners. In other words, what should have been seen as good, the Messiah is here, he's mingling with sinners because he wanted to save them. What should have been saw as a good thing was seen as a bad thing and they became angry. Like, he should have been happy that, that, his, that his brother came home, right? And then he goes on to say this, so his father, watch this, so his father, so obviously news got back, older brother's not coming in. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. I, I don't want us to miss something here, okay? I want us to notice that the father's loving pursuit was actually for both of his sons, not just the wayward one. So often in the church, we focus on one direction, but we got to understand God's still pursuing all of us. Like, like, like he went after both of them, the righteous one and the unrighteous one. Why? Because he loved them the same. So let me help you out here. Years ago, I remember, I remember the way uh, God basically tried to show me his unconditional love. He compared me. I was praying one day, and he compared me to a crackhead under a bridge. In other words, what in my head was the, the lowest place you could go, a crackhead who's homeless, who's basically wasting his life away. God was like, Quentin, I love him as much as I love you. So often in church, we try to divide all that. <laughs> and we try to put ourselves in some special place, and oh, then, then you got them. That's pharisaical, right? So, so, but watch this. Watch how the older son responds to his father's loving pursuit. And, and, and I'm, I'm like, Lord, if this reveals something about us, then let, let it happen, Lord. It says in verse 29, it says, the son said, Father, listen. It's like he tried, he's about to rebuke his dad. He said, how many years have I been working like a slave for you? How many Christians feel like that? In other words, I'm just here going, man, I, like I, I picture the father standing there and the son like blasting him with this. That's slave for you, right? And, and I can like hear the father thinking like, is that what you think about our relationship? Right? That really you think you're nothing more than a slave to me? All these years of obedience of me and you working on the farm, fixing the tractor, planting seeds together, harvesting, like all these things we've been doing for all these years, and you thought that was nothing but a form of slavery? He goes on, he says this. He says, slave for you performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son, and I've never once disobeyed you. Like, what was he doing right there? Hey, come in. No, that's disobedience. Right. See, sometimes what happens is let me let me just say this is sometimes we think we're good and then something happens in our life and it exposes the subtleness of our sin that we didn't think was there. And that's what's happening. He thought he was so obedient, so right. No, no, no. All that stuff was just hidden. Right. Like one time, one time I heard a couple say this, heard a wife say this to a husband. You know, none of this was in me until I met him wrong it just exposed it right yes and so what's happening here is is this situation 
that of this person that he hated, this person he was offended, basically got rescued and got their life back, and now he was ticked off about it and exposed the ugliness of his own heart. And he goes on to say this. He, so watch these words. He says, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. Sounds like a teenager today, doesn't it? <laughs> like, in other words, I'm just like, dude, this guy's got a problem with entitlement. Now, now I don't know about you, but here, here's the thing that blows me away when I read this. If you notice when the young son, younger son came home, man, all of his attention was on the father's goodness. He was depending on the father's goodness. Like if it wasn't for the father's goodness, oh no, I'm, I'm in trouble. So on the other side, the older son's attention was all on how good he was. Had nothing to do with the father. It was all about him, right? And, and I think it's just this, man, he was foolish enough to believe that he could somehow earn. And I don't even know if I got the right words here. So just, just here between the lines that he could just earn by all of his doing, by all of his merits, by all of his performance, by all of his striving, a special place in the father's heart. Like if I check all these boxes, if I pray an hour a day, if I read three chapters a day, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, then somehow it'll earn me all of this from God. Right? Is there an exchange? Are there principles? Yes, but it has to do with motives. Okay, that's what I'm talking about, okay? And so, in other words, I think this older brother thought that he could somehow, let me say it, not even could, that he should be more loved than the younger brother because of his righteousness and his obedience. And that's what the Pharisees were doing, right? They stood off with their smug faces, right? And they looked over there and they thought that God loved them so much more than those notorious sinners who were scattered down the crowd because of all of their obedience, all their rule following, 613 of them, right? Am I making sense? See, I, I just think the reality is if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, like, man, we can find ourselves thinking the same thing, can't we? Like that God should love us more than so-and-so, right? Because of everything we've done over the years. Like, do you know how long I've been a Sunday school teacher? So, so it's, it's funny, it's like when they say that, what they're trying to say is, do you know how long I've been slaving down there? Like, who was it for? What was the motive, right? It, it's, it's, like, it's, like when, it's like when a mom throws in her kids' faces that she, had to, that she cooks for them every night. It's like when a dad throws in his kids' faces that he goes to work every day. What's the motive? Are you, are you going to work because you're a slave? Are you cooking because you're a slave to your family? Or are you doing it because, hey, we're a family, and this is how we love and protect and provide for one another? It has to do with the condition of the heart. Yeah. Amen? So I just think this. It's like if we could realize that this mentality isn't how it works because God is incredibly impartial. I'm going to say it again. God is incredibly impartial. In other words, he's not partial, right? And so just because we don't uh, maybe see ourselves as being as bad as someone else or maybe just because we consider ourselves to be a good Christian who follows all the right rules, yay, right? That, that it, it, all that doesn't mean that God now owes us something. Like God is indebted to no man, right? And so, so I think what Jesus was trying to get at is he was trying to show them, hey, this mentality you're having, the only thing that produces, it doesn't produce more favor, it doesn't produce more love, it doesn't produce more blessings, it doesn't produce more anointing. The only thing it produces is self-righteousness. That's it. Why? Because the focus was on himself. Hang with me, we're almost done. The older brother goes on to say this. It says, but look at this son of yours. 
It's the, still the problem. He's so self-righteous, he can't even identify himself with his brother. He says, he comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him? So the father said, my son, you are always with me by my side. Y'all hear this. It'll break religion off of you. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's called covenant. It says, it's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, and now he's alive and back with us again. He was lost like that coin, like that sheep, but now he is found. Amen. All right, so let me say this and we'll be done. I think what Jesus was trying to tell the two crowds was this, is that, hey, to those notorious sinners, man, God absolutely is heartbroken over the choices you've made. He loves you with an unconditional love, but man, he, he's like, he, he hates sin. Like he, you know, he hates that you're not where you're supposed to be. He has a plan and a purpose for your life, all those things, right? So in the same token, though, I think it's like, hey, hey uh, self-righteous Pharisees, you need to realize that I hate your self-righteousness just as much as I hate all that sin over there, too. I think we need to hear that today, right? Like, like God isn't somehow going... Uh, Bad people, oh, your sin's okay. Just because, just because there's this blatant and out there all in your face, right? And I've done that. I've been there, right? It, but it doesn't mean somehow that God doesn't see the subtleness of our sin, right? And so, so we don't need to get on spot where we think we're so much better than those people. Amen? Amen. All right. So I just said this today when we began that we all have a natural tendency when we hear a story to identify with a character in it. So with that in mind, I want to ask today, once again, I'm, I'm not the Holy Spirit. You know, just as we're going through this, have you found yourself uh, relating to either son in the story? Like, have you, right? So uh, if I can just maybe shoot straight with you today, if you're sitting here today and you've related to the lost son, the prodigal son, uh, if so, thank God the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Like, what a promise, right? And remember, when something is lost, it's just simply not where it's supposed to be. So, so the question I have for you when it comes to that is, are you where you're supposed to be today? Now listen, that could be you don't know Jesus at all, or that could be you're a Christian but man, you're really just running and doing your own thing. You like the Father's stuff more than you like Him. And the reality is, is you're hung up somewhere and you're not really where you're supposed to be. Maybe you're running from the call of God. I don't know what it is, but, but you know that you know that you know that you're supposed to be there and you're here, right? So to ask just kind of a few questions in this, do you know Him? Do you have a personal relationship with Him? Are you trapped in the bondage of sin or are you free? Do you desire, once again, God's stuff more than you want relationship with Him? To ask yourself, are you clothed in sonship today? Or are you wrapped up in a bondage of fear? If you're with me, say, oh yeah. yeah. Or do you view yourself like the older brother did? Come on, let's not run right now. And that's this. Are you, are you sitting here today and you are proud of your ability to be a good person and your ability to follow all the rules? Like, is there something inside of you that's like, yep, I'm better than them? 
So do you struggle with self-righteousness, once again, in thinking that you're better than others? Do you have a sense of entitlement? In other words, are you sitting here today thinking that God owes you something? Are you caught in a trap of performance, just like that older son that thinks that, man, if I'm going to get God's love and God's acceptance, i got to earn it. So i got to work really hard for it. You know, even to ask, you know, are we like the Pharisees and the son, man, have we lost our passion for souls? Do we even understand the Father's heart? I know I'm throwing a lot at you there, okay? But it's just to see what sticks, right? Like, like what is Jesus saying to us, right? So who do we identify with today? Is it the lost son or is it the older brother? Uh, here's the reality. I'll shoot straight with you. Throughout my life, I've identified with both of them, okay? Amen. So, so let me say this. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm going to say this. If we are in a relationship and we think that we are so much better than the other person that we're having conflict with, it will not be resolved. Right? And uh, because what happens is, is because when I think I'm the better person, I always think the problem is them and not me. And, and here's the reality. Listen, I've been married a long time and I've had a lot of relationships go sideways over the years and uh, it's just the nature of life. And, and so, you know, what's happened, I can't tell you how many times I've went to the Lord and I'm like, God, deal with them. And the Lord's like, no, I'm going to deal with you. <laughs> right? And there's this verse that a gentle answer turns away wrath that God has spoken to me, man, I don't know how many times. Amen? So just be open today. It's key. Can you stand to your feet, please? You know, first service I asked, hey, you know, raise a hand here, raise a hand there. I'm not going to ask that at the moment because I just know this, is that in every person in this room today, there's probably a little bit of both kids in us. Amen? There's a little bit of younger son and there's a little bit of older son in us. And the goal is we need to be more like the father. Amen? So, so listen, uh, if you can, uh, just posture your heart. Maybe that's lifting your hands, but, but just if you... Maybe it's not, but if you can just kind of at least close your eyes and just focus on Jesus for a moment, I want to pray with you and we'll be done. Jesus, we absolutely love and adore you. And Father, we thank you today uh, for your word, God, that still has the ability to be relatable in our lives and to meet us exactly where we're at. And Father, today we're just simply asking God that uh, if there's any part of us today that that resonates with that younger son. Maybe we're, we're just in a far off land. Lord, we're simply asking today by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would draw us back home. God, that you would pull us back into the Father's heart. Lord, whatever today that we need to repent of and just, and just say, Father, forgive me. Lord, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. Um, Lord, we just simply ask today, God, that the same way that you restored identity and you made that younger son clean again and you gave him a rightful place at home as if nothing happened. Lord, we realize that's what happens with salvation. God, that you wash our sins away. God, and that you said in your word, God, that you give us a new heart and you make us new creations. And so, Father, today, I thank you that if there's any person today that's in that spot, that they're just like, Jesus, here I am. Here's my life. I'm coming home today. And I'm running to you. And Father, I thank you that out of your grace and your mercy, you run to us as well. And Father, if we're here today and we go, man, Lord, I definitely see pieces of the older brother in me. 
God, maybe it's entitlement, maybe it's self-righteousness, maybe it's arrogance, maybe it's resenting you in some way of all the things that we've done for the years. Father, whatever it is, Lord, I'm just simply asking, God, that all that stuff would be washed away too. God, all the anger, all the the underlying bitterness and frustration. Father, the side of us that maybe doesn't understand our value and our worth. The side of us that doesn't understand sonship. Lord, I'm just simply asking for everyone today that says, man, I'm that older brother. Today, God, that you would just make us new. The same way you made the younger son new. Make us new, God. Give us your perspective. Give us your heart. Father, I'm asking, God, for every person in this room that says that they serve you. God, would you give us a passion for lost souls? God, would you give us a heart for people? God, would you give us a heart for people? Father, thank you today, God, for doing only what you can do. Make us more like you. God, you simply said in your word that you're transforming us into the image of your son. And Father, we open up our hearts, God, for that to happen today. So listen, I need to do this. Just all eyes closed and uh, just that posture once again. If you're here today and you know, man, PQ, I'm, I am not right with God. Like I'm not right. I'm not right with God. Like I'm that, I am not where I'm supposed to be. I'm at a distance. If that's you and you want to see that distance removed quickly, uh, please lift your hand. Say, I want to get right with Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Amen. So Jesus, as these people have their hands up, Lord, you know their heart. Father, we just simply say today, God, that we believe in you. God, we believe you're the son of God. God, we believe today in the death in the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And Father, wherever these guys are at today, God, thank you for making them clean and thank you for restoring them and making them whole. Thank you for salvation, God, in its truest form, God. God, thank you, God, for being the author and the finisher of their faith. God, thank you for strengthening them and helping them and helping them do do, uh, what you called them to do and be who you've called them to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.